Hey, caffeinators. Welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Caffeinators, uh, happy Tuesday. It's uh, October 12th, so welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe, where you can definitely get a pumpkin spice latte. Just don't ask Dave to make it for you. Dave, That's how's it going out idea. there? It's going good. <laughs> uh, we got we got some busy, we got a busy day today. We've got a couple episodes to record, and yeah. spoiler alert, everybody, it's Jeff's birthday, so happy birthday, buddy. Oh, um, thank you very much. Thank you. Yes. It, yes, yeah, it's, and it, uh, it's one, one year older. One year older, yeah. It, it's it's going good here. How are you guys doing out there? You got you got uh, some good. stuff planned for your for your day off? Uh, I do actually. Uh, after we're done recording, Molly works tonight, but I, I'm going to go treat myself to a beer at a local brewery. Nice. And uh, yeah, it's it's Southern California fall, which you know we don't really do fall here. It's we have late summer and early summer and summer, but uh, it's a little chilly and. And nice, actually. It feel like I have slippers and a sweater on, and it's <laughs> it's actually kind of nice. It'll probably be eighty degrees tomorrow, but today is Swe- nice. So you've got slippers, and you're gonna put a house coat on. You're you're transitioning yeah. into an old woman <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yes, yes. And I am I am very much missing my, even though it was very short lived in my life, but I'm missing my New England fall this year. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna celebrate any kind of cooler day that I get here. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so I think we should just jump right into today. I'm so excited for uh, for today's episode. Um, yeah, this will be a little we, different. We, we don't, yeah, we don't really we don't really have the a script. And, we're, yeah, we have no script we're, today. We're we're just gonna talk. So if you if you hear our tap room by the time that this episode comes out, this is actually the start of year three for the Vet yeah. Tech Cafe, which is bonkers to me. Nuts. Um, and and so I, I think we're just gonna make it a an October annual tradition to to speak with uh, Liz Houston, who was our very yeah. first guest. Obviously she's doing so much in the profession, like it's always great to just check in and and see what's going on. So so we are just gonna have a very organic, random discussion about veterinary medicine today and I'm super excited for it. So mm. Liz, I don't I, I your reputation and Everything precedes you, so we don't need to go through a bio or or. If you any need the bio, that, go, but, go listen yeah. to our very first episode. Yes, and... but but I do yes. have a uh, I have a pot of pumpkin spice coffee ready oh, for thank you. Thank you. But thank I just you. I just want to know: can I get you anything different than that? <laughs> oh no, tis the season, please. <laughs> okay. Pumpkin spice all the way. Sorry, right. Dave. Pumpkin spice yes. boot train. <laughs> yes, no pumpkin spice and everything nice at the Vet Tech Cafe. <laughs> Oh boy! Yes, exactly. If I could insert the uh, the John Oliver, you know, pumpkin spice graphic here, the exploding pumpkin spice. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that on his show. It's pretty yes. hilarious. But... I'm gonna, yes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come out here a little bit. I don't Uh-oh. dislike pumpkin spice as a whole. Yes. I just, just feel not like in coffee. It doesn't belong in coffee. Sorry, mm. Jeff. It does not belong in that's, beer whatsoever. That's all right. <laughs> 
That's all right. Uh, but pumpkin pie, like those pumpkin rolls that they make, fantastic. Yeah. But it's just yes. – it's, it's. I mean, I agree with you. That it's they, everywhere. Any pumpkin spice baked good is also oh, delicious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't belong in some things. <laughs> pumpkin spice ice cream, that sounds – delicious mm. i would well. eat that i would yep. eat the heck out of that so yep. yeah. i also saw uh, a yeah. pumpkin spice ivermectin advertised so. <laughs> yes I saw, I saw that pumpkin, as well. pumpkin spice not, ranch I won't dressing be taking that no yes no i won't be <laughs> yeah. i won't be trying those no yeah there, no. you know you do have to draw the line yeah, abso- absolutely. I don't draw the line at coffee. It's you know, it, with 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 pumpkin spice, I'll draw the line as well. With bacon, I will not draw the line. Also Ta- agreed. Tasha uh, sent me. A, a, I thought a, you were going to say pumpkin of... spice bacon, and that's where, that, <laughs> no, that's a well, line. I mean, I mean, I, I would, I would, I would, I might get on that. But Tasha sent me a, a, a pack of um, maple bacon bourbon coffee, and it is oh, unreal. Yeah. It, I, yeah, I would have that. I, yeah, it's 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 fantastic. Yeah. So. Bacon flavoring, sign me up for anything. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I think the first question is, what have you been doing this past year? Like (laughs) a day, a day, a day in the life of a day in the veterinary life of Liz Houston. I can only imagine the different directions that goes. But like, what have you been up to this last year? Well, you know, I wish I had been, I wish I had spent more time working on the floor. I have not been on the floor in a veterinary facility since the the pandemic started. And mostly, you know, I think like a lot of people, just because of the safety issues for me, that's been the big issue. Um, Because it's, it's very tough to think about keeping yourself safe in an environment where you're having to interact with a lot of different people, and strangers and then a lot of strangers <laughs> yeah. and you know and I do relief primarily so I'm working in environments I don't know who what the people are doing what their safety protocols are all of that kind of stuff and so I've really been missing it a lot and really itching but you know another year happy birthday Jeff (laughs) another year older and I honestly I don't know at this point if my body could take it to go back into the on the floor um as much as i as as much as i feel pulled to be back on the floor i don't know if i if i could at this point in time so for me what has really been the biggest struggle or or whatever the stuff i've been doing over the last year is i am a pet owner as well so i'm seeing it from i'm seeing the the crisis in veterinary medicine from the owner side at the same time that i'm working to do what I can to fix it in the behind the scenes veterinary side. You know, I've been working, spending a lot of time working on the union issue. Mm -hmm. So that is still, it's still happening. (laughs) You know, a lot of people um, aren't aware that that's happening. Uh, A lot of people think that nothing's happening. A lot of people think it's dead uh, because there have been some real concerted efforts to try and kill it. But it's still, it's happening. We're, we've been in contract negotiations at a practice in Washington. Um, we filed a petition at a practice in New York. So there's there's a lot happening on that side. And people are interested in workplace rights. And it's, it's a reflection of the larger situation, right? We yeah. look at, everyone says, oh, there's this labor crisis. And I argue there's not a labor crisis. There's a 
living wage crisis. There's a benefit crisis. Mm, There's yeah. a childcare crisis. There's a healthcare crisis. If we could fix some of those systemic issues, I think a lot of people would be back to work. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've done, reached out in a, a few of the vet tech groups I'm in to find out, do people, like, do you get paid time off? Can you take sick time? Because a lot of people can't even take sick time. Yeah, yeah. You know, they work paycheck to paycheck. Right. And so if they're sick, they're coming yeah. to work. And so many hospitals <laughs> are just so short right now. Anyway, even if they get those benefits, can they actually take them? Right. You know, like, right. I mean, are they strongly discouraged from doing so? Yeah. Uh, and we all know that they are, right? right. We know. And, and not only from perceived <clears throat> pressure from management or whatever, but ourselves, right? We are these mission-driven people. We love who we work with. We love our clients. We love our patients. We don't want to let any of those people down. And so we will push ourselves. We know this. <laughs> we will push ourselves beyond, you know, we are three people who have done this in our careers, right? Yeah. Push, yeah. push ourselves past where we should have yeah. um, to be there for right. the people that we care about at work and the clients and the patients. And, and so it's been, um, you know, it's, gosh, it's been such a hard year to watch what's been happening. Yeah. And then, the other the other side of that that has been really difficult and and something I've been trying to bring more attention to is the crisis on the support staff side versus just the veterinary side. So a lot of the news reports you hear talk about the shortage of veterinarians, you know, and and what the clients see right is they can't get in. Right. They can't get right. in to see right. their They vet. can't they get can't... in to see the doctor. Right. I can't get an appointment right. at a vet clinic. Okay. Right. But the easy answer to that, right, someone who doesn't know anything about the industry, they say, oh, that's because there aren't enough veterinarians. And the AVMA puts out this idea that there aren't enough veterinarians. I mean, they've kind of backed away from that a little bit now, I think. But, you know, a lot of the stories revolve around the shortage of veterinarians. But I think that the bigger problem is the shortage of qualified, educated, yeah. skilled, experienced support staff. Yeah. And this is something I find, I think, a little frustrating when not just in the media coverage, which is something I've been trying to you know, push back on when I see these stories, but also in like surveys of veterinarians and their levels of compassion fatigue or their levels of job satisfaction, right? I think a key component that's missing, something that is not asked is... How important is it to you to have a team that you can rely on who's experienced, skilled, educated to help you have a better work-life balance? Yeah. I don't think that a veterinarian can have a good work-life balance if they have a bunch of people working for them who have never worked in veterinary medicine before. Yeah, because or, they have to do or, all the work then at that point. Exactly. Or her, who are only on the job trained, which means in, in most places, the veterinarian is doing the training. So now, and we know. I mean, Dave, you know, because this is like your job when yeah. you go into practices, you know how hard it is to train and do the job. It's yeah, oh, almost yeah. impossible. And right. I listened to your episode with Karen, right? Karen Roach, and she talked about the exact same thing, how hard it is to train and work to provide the level of care that you want to be able to provide, but also train someone at the same time. It's really, really hard. And I see a lot of these places reaching out, you know, clinic managers reaching out saying, I need basic anesthesia training for because we have yeah. all these people that we've hired off the street 
who don't know medical terminology, right. who don't know, they've never taken a pharmacology class, they don't know anything about the drugs, about the effects of the drugs, how to monitor anesthesia, what anesthesia is. Can someone come and just do like a basic two-hour talk so that we can get them up to speed? <laughs> yeah, no. in, in a short. <laughs> yeah. No, you can't no, do that. No, right. You know, I had someone reach out to me because a prescription error was made at their clinic because they had people who've never been trained filling prescriptions. And I don't know if they read it wrong or they didn't understand the instructions and then didn't feel comfortable to ask or didn't right. know to ask. I yeah. don't know, right? But yeah. a mistake was made and a, the wrong medication was dispensed. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was actually went home, yeah. right? Because they mm -hmm. didn't have processes in place. And that kind of stuff, That when I hear stories like that, it just kills me. It yeah. kills me because yeah. we have all of these people, right? Me, Jeff who aren't in out in clinical medicine anymore. We're not out there doing the work for all kinds of reasons, right? And there are so many of us who have left and who continue to leave. Yeah. And we're hurting patients by letting these people just drain out of the profession, which yeah. is how yeah. which is where we are. And I know this has been kind of an ongoing conversation on this podcast and kind of in vet med in general. I mean, they've been talking about utilization and retention for 40 years yeah. since <laughs> veterinary technicians this became a new. thing. It's not new, but nothing is happening, right? Yeah. And what I see now, and you know, I know you ask your guests a lot about like what is the current state of veterinary medicine, and what I see now, and I said, I think I said this last year, and it feels. I said last year, I think that we were at a tipping point, yeah, that we're either going to move forward yep. and progress or we're going to fall backwards to the old days where you had high school kids doing care. And I don't feel more optimistic about where we are at that tipping point yeah. a year later. Yeah, I feel like we're slipping in the wrong direction mm. um, a year later. Yeah. And I honestly don't know how to fix it. I mean, I think a lot of us are talking, we talk about the ideas and then, especially now with all of the labor crisis stuff that's yeah. happening everywhere, people are talking about focusing on retention, focusing on keeping your people happy, keeping your people engaged, keeping them in the workplace. But it doesn't feel like that message is coming through into veterinary medicine. And you hear a lot of hand-wringing and pearl-clutching, what are we going to do? We don't have enough people, but but nobody's doing the things that <laughs> right. they need to do yeah, yeah. To, to fix that. And it's not rocket science, these things, right? I almost, like, if I weren't the president of a labor union, I feel like I could do talks at management veterinary management conferences of, like, how to avoid a union, a unionizing effort in your workplace. Right. You know, it's not rocket science. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Pay people and give them benefits. <clears throat> ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Like Respect them. Utilize, yeah, utilize them. them. And if, you, if you utilize them, you're going to make more money because your vets are going to be more efficient. Your whole practice is going to be more efficient. You're going to be way more productive and that's going to allow you to pay more. You know what? Will you have to increase prices? Probably. Perhaps. But the whole industry is under monetized as it is, yeah. right? People, you have the difference between these corporations that raise their prices every year, twice a year, three times a year, <laughs> yeah. some of them. They're still balls to the wall busy, 
even yeah. with the higher prices. Yeah. Uh, and then you have individual practices saying, oh, we couldn't, we could never raise our prices. People would mutiny. They'd be so upset. It's just not, it's just not the case. That's not, no, no. <laughs> um, you, you still buy, and, you still uh, buy a gallon of milk that goes up every year yeah, or, you know, right. like every, everything. Gas, like yeah. at all, all of it. So, yeah. So it's, you know, that I feel I hate to come on here every year and say <laughs> the same thing. And I don't know how, I don't know how to change it beyond yeah. continuing to push on the things that I'm pushing on. Yeah. But it, it does feel frustrating because it, it's hard to get the attention of the people who are able to make those decisions and who are able to push things through. And it's hard when people get distracted by the, the bright, shiny things yeah. that they think will make a difference that are actually not going to make any difference at all. Right. And I think you guys might know what I'm referring <laughs> to. I mean, right now, the latest shiny, bright thing that everybody wants to do totally unrealistically is this master's, right? This mid-level practitioner, right? The right. idea of, of a master's degree for veterinary well, see, what's interesting about it is if it were a, a master's degree for veterinary technicians, for credentialed veterinary technicians, that would be one thing. And it mm -hmm. would be really interesting. I think it's unrealistic given that very few veterinary technicians, credentialed veterinary technicians, hold bachelor's degrees right now. Right. Uh, it's not common. Most of us are associate degree educated. I, this is my, you know, third career. So I have a bachelor's, I have a BA in English. So like, I'm totally out of wh whatever. But I think so from that standpoint, you know, it feels unrealistic. We don't have a really clear educational system Path, in veterinary yeah. technology that it, that aligns with like nursing, right? So yeah. we are where nursing was 60 years ago where right. the majority of the folks are associate degree trained, you know, and then licensed exam, all of that stuff. We don't have robust bachelor's programs really widespread, right? Penn Foster has a good one. There are some, you know, it's a, so for online, so it's available to everybody. There are some bachelor's programs out there, but not a lot. Yeah. Um, most of the vet tech, the brick and mortar vet tech programs are in community colleges. So they can't offer bachelors. They're not accredited to do that. So I think there's a lot of groundwork that needs to be done before we can get to master's degree yeah. programs in veterinary technology. That's number one. But And the more I learned about this program, the more I heard about what they're proposing, they're proposing this that First of all, that you won't need a bachelor's to get in, which doesn't make any sense. To that me. doesn't make any sense. Um, that you don't have to be a credentialed technician to get in. So that means someone's going to graduate from this program. They don't hold a credential. They basically have, probably never never worked in a clinic. They basically have no training in veterinary medicine. Right. And they're supposed to then come into a clinic and do what? Because, like, I live in California, like Jeff does. We have very strict rules about job tasks and job tasks that are restricted to credentialed technicians. So now you have a master's degree person who's supposed to be this mid-level practitioner. And they're supposed to come in, but they can't do any technician tasks. So they can't <laughs> induce anesthesia. Uh, they can't place a, a cast or a splint. They can't do dental suture. extractions. They can't suture. What are they supposed to do? And, you know, the, I, what I hear from people who are, who are pushing this, 
who are all veterinarians, by the way. Of course. What I hear from people pushing this is, oh, they're going to be a clinical extender. Like, I, what does that even mean? Like, they're going to be able to manage <laughs> cases. Okay, but they can't do any of the work. And according to the Veterinary Practice Acts of every U.S. state, they can't prescribe, they can't diagnose, they can't communicate or, or formulate a prognosis, and they can't do surgery. So, and like the idea, they're like, oh, we'll teach them to do minor surgery. What are you talking about? Like, you're going to allow a completely unlicensed person with potentially no education in veterinary medicine beyond whatever the curriculum is going to be of this master's program. So no basics, straight to some master's, some advanced education level. And then they're going to do surgery? That's insane. It's dangerous. (laughs) And dangerous. I don't understand how this has gotten as far as it has gotten. I I really, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and then we can also look at what does it cost to get a master's degree? That's not, that's no cheap endeavor. And and you're asking technicians to do this based on savings that they have. Yeah. I I mean, when you talk to the people who are pushing this, they say, oh, the companies are going to pay for it. I'm like, companies won't even pay to send their their assistants to tech school. No. Why would a company pay to send someone for a master's master's program when they're not going to be able to do anything with it? And not to mention how, you know, screwed up the, the compensation structure is in veterinary medicine right now anyway. You know, that veterinarians, lots of veterinarians are paid on a production basis, right? So they have a combination of salary and production. It's like being a waiter or a waitress, right? Yeah, and, and you get working tipped. for yeah. tips. So this is an <laughs> issue for so many reasons. Number one, when when veterinarians get paid on production, it motivates them and incentivizes them to do more than they might do ordinarily. Especially you know, they're not they're They didn't make their number last month. Right. So now this month they're going to do more diagnostics, more testing. They're going to push for more surgeries. I, I like to believe that veterinarians are above that, but I think the truth doesn't really bear that out. Uh, so I really am not a fan of production based compensation. The, and so when you come into a system that is primarily production based, and you're a technician, you're not getting any piece of production. Um, You're generating all of the stuff. You're doing the things that are giving the doctor their production. But when you throw this mid-level practitioner in there, that means a chunk of the production is coming out of that veterinarian's pay. Right. Why would any veterinarian who's paid on production (laughs) allow someone in the practice who's going to take that away. I really, I, I am flabbergasted that it has gotten as far as it has. Yeah. People are taking I mean, it seriously. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for education. I'm all, right. I'm all for bettering yourselves and, and, and doing more in the field. But like you said, what, what's the end game here? Like what, what's the end game? Yeah. I mean, when yeah. we're losing the idea that this is something that's going to keep technicians in the field doesn't make any sense to me right. because the stuff that they're talking about, these people being able to do are things that credentialed veterinary technicians can do in many cases, especially those who have been doing this for a long time. Uh, Not to mention, we haven't even talked about veterinary technician specialists. And I think that's a whole area of veterinary medicine that some 
folks in veterinary medicine, right? Some veterinarians, certainly practice managers, right? They just don't even know what a VTS is, what a VTS right. can do, exactly. what, they, right. what their qualifications are, what their skills are, all of those things. So it's really frustrating because I already feel, and I mean, I know it's not just a feeling. We have data that shows us that we already have um, really low uh, utilization um, and people are leaving because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, noise. <laughs> oh, it might be my trash driver. <laughs> you, get, you, get a, you get a bus going a on jet. over there? I thought it was here, but I think it's a jet. <laughs> it's, it's actually the Amazon delivery man. Sorry, guys. I knew it's not here because we got, we got nothing around us. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, I think part of it too, and Liz, you kind of alluded to like, we're, we're in a, a spot where human nursing was decades ago. I, I think yeah. that's a fantastic thing to keep on the long range plan yeah. in terms of like, yes, 50, 60 years from now. I, I, I envision a day where every credentialed veterinary technician out there has gone through a two-year program and has an associate's degree. There's no more OJT. There's no more alternate route. I'm an alternate route graduate in California. I still don't even have a two-year degree. So yeah. like, I'm coming from that place. But that needs to be the standard. Then we need to have those well-established bachelor's programs. And then also, but like how that's delineated actually in the profession, what right. that actually means. Like if you're just going to be the same person with a four-year degree instead of a two-year degree, what, what the heck is the point? Then what the heck is the point of even going further towards a master's? So like, it's great to have those long range visions, but that's, that's solving a 20, a, you know, a 2060, a 2070 problem right. when we need to be solving 2021 problems. Right. Well, and, and we looked at the, we talked about this in the, the tap room we just did. They listed this type of role as one of the fixes for the problems that we're dealing with now. And like, this is not going to fix, like, we're not going to be pumping out master's degrees in the next two months. Right. <laughs> this is going to take, this is going to take years to do. Right. Yeah. But yeah. we could create programs. We could create incentives that might bring people back to the profession. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When mm -hmm. you talk to technicians who've left, almost all of them want to come back. They just can't live. Yeah. Um, right. Either they can't live because they, they weren't paid properly. They didn't have good benefits. They weren't respected. They were working in toxic workplaces you know, a lot of them who went into nursing, human nursing, they're still in toxic workplaces, right? Human yeah, nursing is not a bastion of amazing, right. <laughs> beautiful workplace culture, but they're compensated. But they're getting paid. Yeah, they're yeah. getting paid appropriately. Yeah. And they have yeah. protections in place, right? And they have and benefits. I, I'll, and... I'll put a plug in that a lot of those protections are in place because they have unions. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and when you look at the places where nurses are really well paid, where uh, patient to staff ratios are maintained. Those are all unionized environments. And right. that's the, that's, I believe that well, that's what it's going to take because these corporations, these veterinary corporations who own, you know, huge chunks of the market, it's probably close to 30% of veterinary medicine is corporate yeah. right now. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to know because the numbers are really hard to get because most veterinary boards 
uh, don't keep track of corporate right. ownership in the right. state. California well, doesn't. And also the, the number is constantly changing. Yeah. And the number yeah. is constantly changing. <laughs> Moving target. So, right. And during this pandemic, I think you've seen, we've seen a lot of practitioners, sole practitioners, you know, that local veterinarian who owns the clinic facing challenges that they didn't want to face. Right. Um, and just deciding that it's easier to sell. Um, yeah, sell and get out. And yeah. the yeah. deals are insane. The amounts mm -hmm. of money being offered, the amounts of money being thrown into the industry. I don't blame them for taking right. it and, and either staying, you know, and working for the corporation or getting out. But these corporations have such a chance to make that change, to really be leaders. And they just aren't. You know, Banfield had this big summit and they announced all of these in initiatives. They're all aimed at veterinarians. So they yeah. did a bunch of DEI stuff, all aimed at veterinarians, all aimed yeah. at, you know, college programs, uh, high school programs that encourage people to look at veterinary medicine for college, but no one encouraging veterinary technicians. There's no work being done on that side. And instead, what we see is practices and, you know, corporations forwarding this idea of the mid-level practitioner which is ridiculous. Yeah. We see them yeah. pushing in Washington state, for example, pushing for the idea of an apprenticeship program, which is basically, <laughs> oh, it's another OJT. It's another alternate right. route. Why? Why? Yeah. Why is that happening? Why is anyone even, why is that even in the realm of possibility of something that we should be doing? It's taking us backward instead right. of in the vision that Jeff laid out, right? Where everyone has an associate's degree like human nursing, right? Right. Right. Everyone has an associate's degree at a minimum and is working in the field to the highest extent of their licensure and education and skill. It's yeah. Well, really and I think funny. a lot of that is because because they can. Right. right? We can hire people off the street right. and have them work and do the jobs of technicians. Yeah. You and can't pay do that at a human hospital. And pay them a lot yeah. less. Pay them. Yeah. That yeah. is really the and crux. You, you can't do that with with human nursing. You Correct. can't just say I, like I can't go say I'm going to I'm going to go be a nurse in the ICU at. At, at a local hospital. I just Correct. can't do that. Correct. Right. You can't start at the information desk at a human hospital and work yeah. at the information <laughs> desk for three months and have the manager of the hospital come to you and say, we're going to make you a tech. We're going to yeah, train you gonna, to be a tech because mm -hmm. you're so you're great start placing at the information and, desk. Yeah, yeah. And yet that happens every day in veterinary yeah. medicine. Every yeah. day I see that. Oh, I got a job in the kennel and they're going to start training me as a tech next week. I've yeah. been here a month. Like, right. yeah. oh my God, that's yeah. awful. Nobody yeah. should be, nobody should be happy about that. That no. person shouldn't be happy about that, but it's not their fault. They don't know enough to know that they shouldn't right. be happy. Right. They don't know what they don't know. Yeah. They don't they know don't what, they, know don't what know. they don't know. And then I get really angry when I see veterinarians tell assistants, oh, you know what? If you go to school, you're not going to pay, we're not going to pay you anymore. You're not going to make right. any more money. So like, yeah. why would you do that? And then, yeah. and that's just a lie. <laughs> That's a straight up lie. We know from federal statistics that credentialed technicians make on average $3 an hour more per hour than non-credentialed staff. So it's just not it's just not true. But what yeah. they're doing that, they're doing that because they they're trying to preserve their bottom line. And they yeah. don't understand the economics. They 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 don't mm -hmm. understand that credentialed technicians actually bring more money to the practice, more revenue to the practice. Yeah. So 
Yeah. Well, and I think we have to, I, I, I say this a lot, is we have to stop treating this as a job and treating it as a career because – I mean, yeah. if, if it's just a job, you can, you can continue to do that. You can continue to pull people off the street and say, hey, do you want to work in the ICU? Right. right. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not with, saying. With zero experience? Yeah. And we all, we need assistance, right? You can't yeah. Oh, yeah. have a practice that's all credentialed technicians right. and veterinarians, right? That, that will never work. You need assistance. We need every part of the team. But we have to create a reason for someone to want to remain in yeah. the field, to want to move forward. You know, like the whole idea behind candy stripers at human hospitals is to get them exposed to what happens, let them see what's going on. They're doing some work, right? Candy stripers are usually volunteers, so it's not really a lot of work, but they're seeing what's happening in the hope. Do people know is, what candy stripers are? Isn't that is like it, something is, from it's the kind 50s? Of old, isn't are, we, it? are we aging ourselves? <laughs> so they used to have these people in human hospitals who would go around with like a little cart that maybe had magazines or books or maybe candy. And I think in a lot of places they wore actually like pink striped uniforms yeah, yeah. to make sure that they were differentiated from staff so that people didn't try to <laughs> ask them to, you know, change a bedpan or deliver medication or something like that. Uh, sorry for all you younger, all you, Gen Z younger listeners out there. Uh, but like, but then, you know, what that, what happened is people got exposed to the environment. They saw what happened. They saw the kind of work that was happening. And then you could bring them on as an assistant, a healthcare assistant, right? A medical assistant. And those are the people like nursing students. It's the, they, they're doing similar jobs. They're in there. They get the dirty jobs, unfortunately. They're giving the baths. They're changing. Paying their dues. Right. Yeah. They're emptying the bedpans. It, nobody uses bedpans anymore. They're emptying the, the <laughs> bags, right? They're doing all of those things. And like they are an extender of the nurse because they become the nurse's eyes and ears to help the nurse know because nurses have acuity among their patients. And so they can't be everywhere at once. And so now you have this person who's there saying, coming to the nurse and saying, oh, I think you need to go to room two, you know, there's something going on there that you need to check on or they ask for you or whatever, right? And then you have the nurse doing what they're doing. And then in, in human medicine, you have the nurse practitioner who you can use in, in place of a clinician, right? A doctor or a fellow or a resident or an intern or whatever. But there are all these levels. Now, we can argue a lot, <laughs> about whether that's even appropriate, right? Like a lot of that is driven by yeah. insurance and, and liability. And I'm not saying we should necessarily follow the human model 100% because I think there are definitely problems with a human healthcare model as it currently exists, including the narrowing of, of focus because everything is so specialized in human medicine. Yeah. Um, you can't even like you can't just go to med school and then start practicing anymore. Like you have yeah. to you have to specialize. You can specialize right. in general medicine, right? In family medicine, but you have to do a residency, you have to do an internship. Uh and vet med isn't like that. And I don't think we want it to be like that. I think no. uh people love general practice vets. I did an interview recently and where the the journalist asked me, he's like, what can pet owners do? about the, these issues, what, about what's going on. And I said, you know, just like on Small Business Saturday, right? The Saturday after Thanksgiving, shop local. And if you go to your vet and you don't know it, who owns that practice, ask them. 
Ask them who's working in the back. Ask them how many credential technicians they have and how many assistants they have. And just just so you know, like I'm not saying leave if it's a corporate practice or leave if there are no credential technicians. Don't take your pet there anymore. I'm not saying that. People love their vets and I don't want to, you know, change that relationship with their vets. But I also think it's important for clients to know, you know, where they're going, what they're supporting, what they're doing. And then when they see these price increases, right, that's the other thing that puts such a burden on staff. It's so hard on staff because these prices increase, you know, once, twice, sometimes three times a year. And staff is the one communicating the prices, right? We're the ones talking to clients about how much stuff costs and trying to get them to sign off on a treatment plan and allowing us to do all those things. And I don't think clients understand that that money isn't coming to us, right? A lot of times it's not coming. It's definitely not coming in the form of pay or benefits, Sometimes it's not even coming in capital improvements in the practice, right? We have practice, we have people who are working in buildings that have really, really poor heating and and air conditioning systems. Like it's too hot in those practices. It's too hot for the people working. It's too hot for the animals that are in there being taken care of. But the money that those people are, are paying isn't going to fix those things. Right. And- in a lot of cases, it's impossible to tell where the money is going because these these aren't public companies. They're investment firms. They're family-owned companies. And there's no transparency about where yeah. the money is going. Yeah. Um, because they don't have to. Because yeah. they don't have to. Yeah, it's, it's, right. a, it's a really interesting dynamic. I was thinking about this morning uh, before, we, before we came on air, kind of thinking about – the veterinary structure and the human structure. I mean, we have this, this major shift from when, when the three of us started, it was and by and large, uh, veterinary medicine for a lot of clinics is still a small business. Like it, it is, it's yeah. an owner. For 70 it, to 75%, yeah, I would right. say across there, the country. Right. There's an owner, there are fees for services. It's, it's all of that. And then you have the, the corporate structure. And I was, trying to think about, okay, an analogous in human medicine. So I don't really know human medicine well enough to know, like if, if some of these <laughs> large hospitals are actually chains, if there, you know, if there yeah. is a VCA in human medicine or, or what have you, or maybe it's uh, what would it be? MCA. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, so then why are those large hospitals able to take such good care of their people? Or at least, you know, yeah. The, in terms of you know pay and respect and all of these education levels and things of that sort and and actually the the first thought I had was well nurses are unionized yeah um, and, and you know there are so many layers as as we've talked about I mean just in the little yeah. bit that we've been talking so far I we could jump off and do hours yeah. on any of those <laughs> points but but I don't I, what I don't know is the landscape in terms of where the future is going to go I feel like corporate is is very heavily focusing on emergency and specialty medicine, maybe still some quite a bit in general practice, but I feel like general practice will still long-term be a lot of small business model. Mm -hmm. I feel the same. Vaccines, spay, neuter, you know, your run-of-the-mill care, you know, uh, bladder infections, ear infections, Mm -hmm. a cough, right? All of those things, I think, yes. Yeah. And so like, then how do we, in a, in a small business like that, 
you know, it's one thing going in and, and trying to to get a large corporation to to improve practice across the board, but in those smaller places, how do we get them to buy into this education? This, yeah. though, like yeah. uh, to me, that has to come from either the manager that they have, or probably in many cases don't have. That has to come from what they learn in school. Right. Oh, I mean. You know how I feel about that. You know how I feel about the veterinary curriculum. Um, the, you know, the vet, veterinary curriculum, as far as I can tell, and when I speak to people who work in academia or who have worked in academia previously, um, there is way too much focus in veterinary curriculum on things that veterinarians don't need to know. Not enough focus on proper delegation, proper utilization, not to mention business skills. If we want these people to come out and be able to run their own businesses or position themselves to be in a place where they would be able to purchase a practice or join as a partner, right? Like we don't teach them enough about how to get to that point in their career, yeah. in in my opinion. And I think yeah. when I talk to new grads and, and they tell me the same thing and people working in academia, they tell me the same thing. And when these the teachers, the professors say things like there's no room in the curriculum, um, there's plenty of room because you're teaching far too many tech skills. And the reason they're teaching tech skills is they say, well, somebody's going to graduate and they're not going to have any technicians at their practice. That just isn't true because there isn't a practice anywhere that has zero staff that only has a veterinarian. Um, there might, okay, I take that back. There might be some mobile practices that do that, right? Mm -hmm. That run just the vet that run the James Harriet model, right? You I, go I've worked out, in a couple of practices where it's pretty close to zero. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, with the staffing problems, for sure. But yeah. I don't think that's a reason. I don't think we should be training veterinarians in that they're going to be entering a system of want. I want to train veterinarians that they, they're entering a system of abundance, that you're going mm -hmm. into a system where you can find, you will have staff. Don't, you don't have to worry about this because you're going to have staff for you. And, and and most of them are, are that is the situation they're heading into. Most of them are going to be out working for a corporate chain or an established hospital. Very few of them are going out to start on their own from the ground up. Yeah. And even if they were, they're not going to be doing it, as I said, by themselves. They're going to yeah. have a staff of some kind. Yeah. And, and there are so many resources now for training and education that the idea that you would be going into a place that had people who knew nothing and you were going to be the only person only one. who could yeah. fix it and who could train them. It's this is what is killing veterinarians. This is what is making them crazy. And I don't mean crazy in a derogatory sense or even a strict mental health sense. I just mean no work-life balance, no uh, the, the constant pressure, the constant feeling that it's all on your shoulders, that you have to carry everything yourself. Veterinarians don't have to do that. We have a whole section of licensed personnel. You know, every time I hear a vet say, well, it's my license if this goes wrong. Hey, I have a license. Yeah. I am subject to the same laws and rules and regulations that you are. We both have licenses. So let me share the load with you. Like this isn't, yes, you are the decision maker. You are the ultimate decision maker. I'm not taking that away from you. You do, you pick the diagnostics. You make the diagnosis. You do the surgery. I am not taking that away from you at all. But let me share that burden 
with you. Let your staff share that burden. It, it is frustrating to hear veterinarians be pushed to the absolute limit because they are stuck in a place where they can't keep the staff that they want that supports yeah. them. And I think that when we're teaching people in vet school, we need to teach them how to keep their staff, how to use their staff. We need to help them learn that relying on the team is healthier. It's better for them. It will lead to better medicine. It will lead to better outcomes for their patients. Rely on a trained anesthetist, right? A person who knows anesthesia, who learned it in school. Maybe a person who's been doing it for 20 years, yeah. right? Yeah. Like the idea that a vet can come out of school and be better at anything in the veterinary clinic than an assistant who's been doing this for 20 years. That's mm. great. That is that is just yeah. makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, yeah. But we're teaching these vets when they that when they come out that they are the end all be all, that they are the one where that everything relies on them to make everything happen. Instead of teaching them to rely on the people that are there when they come into the practice, a lot of them learn that in their first year, right? I know I get the CVMA magazine, which is the California Vet Med Association, and they have a column that's written by a first-year vet. And they write about their experiences over the year and everything they learned and all of these things. And um, so many of them, and new doctors, it's the same. You know, I rely so much on my staff to help me to help me learn how to do things the right way, how to do things more efficiently, how to do things, you know, how to focus on what's my job, what's their job. But we shouldn't, it shouldn't have to be the first year of practice for veterinarians to learn that. We should be doing that in school. And yeah. I wanted, to, I want to put in one other thing that was super frustrating to me <laughs> because I went to a talk on this mid-level practitioner and they were talking about how much they really value their staff and how what a great job their staff do teaching students and helping students learn and skills and all of this. And I asked, do any of you have technicians as faculty members? And not one person in this meeting, all veterinary educators, right, at, in DVM programs, not one of them had even ever considered the idea that they might have someone on a, as a faculty position. Yeah. That, that, like you could put someone on a tenure track <laughs> as an instructor, not quote unquote, just a technician, but as an instructor, because they are doing the bulk of that clinical education in that. Not, not to go back to our previous topic, but I think to become a, a tenured faculty member, you'd need a master's degree. Well, you're probably <laughs> right about that. But like, but these are, but these are schools, right? These yeah. are universities. They could build that program pretty easily for oh, people yeah, yeah. in the program, right? This is something Missouri is kind of doing. Yeah. Um, very few people have gone through that veterinary master's yeah, program. Yeah, like four or five people have, have done it? Something like that. It's very, very small. It's very number. small. Yeah. Um, but that's the kind of, I mean, that is the thinking we need in these tech, in these vet schools, right? Universities with vet schools, really, it would behoove them to have programs for bachelor's degrees in veterinary technology and then master's degrees in veterinary technology that the staff of the vet school could take advantage of that would lead, I mean, talk about a career ladder. Oh my God. Yeah. Everybody would want to work at a vet school because you go in... 
you get to go to the to the to a program that will give you a bachelor's degree, then qualify you to get a master's degree, and that puts you on a on the potential of like a tenure track, right? To become a professor at the school. What a huge, what a huge win for students, for veterinary schools, for, you know, tuition, people look at their tuition numbers, like, like even if you're subsidizing it as the school, right? For employees. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I can tell you, (laughs) you know, in in my time at academia, we implemented a a career ladder for, for technicians and it was a like a level one through four and each level was, you know, if, if you were a level one and then like you were basically a veterinary assistant and then it was CVT and then it was CVT with so much experience specifically in academia and you were doing other things, which involved like, you know, more student interaction and, and things of that sort. And then there was the level four, which was a little bit longer term in academia, but also like required a, a VTS. And so, and then it was also a three and a half percent raise each yeah. level. And I was super jazzed when this when they like rolled this out because at that time everybody was basically a level one and which is what I was, um, and I said okay well fantastic I'm clearly a level four and I was like great that's going to be like a you know three and a half percent times you know three level right. increase raise that's going to be a ten and a half percent raise right well no we 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 can't just move you up three levels at one time. I, Which is I, ridiculous. I, I yeah. still, I, I still, I left academia. Still wasn't a level four, and That's I was right. like, I was like one of the only people on staff that would even qualify for that. So it was like, basically, all you're doing is is coming up with an arbitrary reason to not give me the raise that this document that you gave me says I supposed to have. Yeah. And and then look what happened. I, it forces you out. It and forces me what, out. What happens to then? Like what yeah. happens to that program? Now you've lost an incredibly valued asset, an employee who's skilled, educated, credentialed at a high level. Why would you want to lose that person? Right. And their their other argument is, well, well, once you hit level four, you have nothing else to work for. It's not. Well, that's that's not my problem. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's on you. If, If you can't come up with something else for me to do. (laughs) Right. That's on you, not on me. Exactly. Exactly right. And the idea, like, that's another thing that I really get annoyed by. And Jeff, like, that is such the perfect, the perfect segue into it, which is the idea that getting your vet tech certification credentialing is, is in some way that that, that there's a cap on you, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a, you know, this idea of a terminal degree quote unquote. And that's why we need a master's because otherwise it's a terminal degree at an AS. Well, that's just like, that's not true. There are plenty of RNs in this country who have an associates in nursing and Mm -hmm. that's the only education that, you know, that is their educational background. Um, And they've been working as a nurse for 30, 40 years, whatever it might be. Like just because they're not interested in getting a bachelor's degree because they don't want those additional opportunities or jobs or responsibilities doesn't mean that that is some kind of a terminal thing or it's not a career in some way. Like we don't talk about nursing the same way we talk about veterinary technology, which is really frustrating Mm -hmm. because that – an AS or an AAS in veterinary technology, you know, that gets you, that that makes you a credentialed veterinary technician. You can then choose what you want to do with that. It's not a cap. It's not a limit. You right. get to choose what you want to do with right. that. 
Now we have bachelor's programs, but you could also go to a bachelor's program in something else if that was something you wanted to do. Nothing is stopping you from doing that right. beyond the things that stop anyone from getting a bachelor's degree, right? So I also don't like the way we talk about veterinary technology. And Dave made the point too. We need to talk about it as a career. It's not yeah. a job. It's not just a job. It can be, right? I think there are plenty, of veterinary, yeah, there are plenty of veterinary assistants and there are some, even some credentialed veterinary technicians where it really is just a job. I mean, it's not a great way to earn a living. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not sure why that would be your job like if if you were just if it was just a job i'm not sure why you would make it just a job because it's not a great job <laughs> yeah um but it's an amazing career i don't i know that it sounds kind of dich dichotomous i guess but we are mission driven people we do this because we love what we do because we love the people we do it with and the people and the animals we do it for and that's not a job that's a career yeah yeah well and i th i think there's a lot of a lot of people out there that like you said, this is a job for them, just something to do while they're aspiring to do other things. Right. That's um, also okay. <laughs> that's okay, but you can't do that. Like if we compare veterinary field versus the nursing field, you can't just say, I'm, I'm going to be a human nurse just right. as a job. That's exactly that's, right. That's your career. That's and exactly right. Until we can switch that and make this a more permanent career for veterinary technicians, we're still going to be spinning our wheels in the mud trying to get people to stay in the field when yeah. – so many so many of us leave yeah yeah no you're exactly right absolutely i really was ha hoping to come on here with uplifting you know update about where the, the state of the profession <laughs> and our future <laughs> but you know i think it's important for us to talk about what's really happening and not yeah. get distracted by the bright shiny things and well I mean, we can i mean we can t we can talk all day about the things that are going to be helping to fix the profession however as technicians, it's very hard for us to fix this problem because we don't have any power. That's right. They were not allowed to join the AVMA without jumping right. through a lot of hoops, which doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Our national organization is AWOL, mm. you know, but that's the only place that, that the AVMA looks to for input, for, you know, for seats on committees, things mm -hmm. like that. And they're just not, I don't believe they're advocating for the profession in the in the way that I would like to see them advocate for the profession. And that's really it's disappointing. They're not independent. They can't that they're not creating value in a way that makes them sustainable. The national organization. Really mm -hmm. interesting things are happening at in state tech associations across the country. Really interesting things. Tech associations are doing a lot to advance the profession in their individual states. And I, I think that is where the the momentum is going to have to come from to, for change to happen. Is it have to, It's going to have to be in the schools for veterinarians, you know, at that, on that side of it, and then at the state level for technicians, you know, in technician associations. They're the ones who have relationships with state legislators, the people who are making those laws, right, at the state level. Um, yeah. I look at California. We're so lucky to have Nancy Ehrlich, who's been mm -hmm. involved in legislation for veterinary technicians literally from the beginning. She wrote <laughs> the technician law um, for the Practice Act in California, and we're so lucky to have her. But you can imagine, <laughs> no dig, Nancy, but, you know, she's older. 
and it's tough. It's, she's vintage. She's vintage. She's exactly vintage. Right. Absolutely. And it's hard to, you know, to find. We do have people who are stepping in, who are learning from her, right? Basically getting those introductions, going to the meetings. That's what's happening in every state or in a lot of states. Some states, much to my chagrin, have no veterinary technician association. They only have a VMA that allows technicians right. to join. But some of those don't have technician voices on their board. There are very few state boards in the country that have technician members, you know, appointed by the governor or appointed by the by the board itself, right? So that's a big issue. We need to be elevating technicians and their and their voices throughout the country. The best way to do that is through state technician associations. And I am really heartened to see in a lot of places a lot of really interesting forward motion happening, a lot of people doing interesting things at the t- at the state level there are other places where you know it's the same faces every year nobody yeah. new is joining there's no new leadership nothing is there's no backfill it's just a, like a rotating chair right? right and we need to fix that we need to empower newer technicians we need to teach them how to be active provide them with opportunities to be active in their association. And I think if we can do that, you know, if, if state technician association leaders can do that, that will help elevate us, right? Yeah. And then that will push up to the national level, to yeah. NAVTA, to the AVMA. Yeah. But we have to start in the states. Yeah. And I think that translates to, to the veterinarian side as well. Like, I mean, I remember in totally. academia, totally. you know, all the veterinary students say like, you know, how do we fix this? And I, I, I would say like, unfortunately, when you're a veterinarian, this is going to be on you to go to the AVMA and say, this structure is broken. I, I can't join the AVMA. I can't do anything about it. So you as a future veterinarian, you as faculty, you have to be the ones to go to the AVMA and say, this sucks. Yeah. And, and yeah. we, we, here's what we need to do. Here's how right, we need like, to fix it. Right. Here is a stick of TNT, blow it up, yeah. start over. But I, I can't do anything about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's really, it's, it is, it's tough because we really do need the veterinarians to a- help advocate for us uh, yeah. at, at every level, um, yeah. really. And it's hard because it's not really in their best interests, right? <laughs> to be an ally of better pay and benefits and and more involvement. I mean, I think it is, but a lo- it's hard to convince some veterinarians that that is the case. Right. Uh, and so it's a big, it is a big challenge. I mean, I think it's starting. I see it with the younger generation of veterinarians, more and more veterinarians who are coming out of school now do seem to be embracing the the team concept more. They they understand the value of their staff. They're utilizing their technicians better, I think. AVMA does have that technician utilization working group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know there's some amazing technicians yeah. working on that on yeah. that project. But what was really fascinating about that is the AVMA Board of Governors had that conversation. They fully intended on having that conversation fully without the involvement of technicians at all. 
They were just going to do it themselves. <laughs> and this is part of the problem, right? They think veterinarians think they can do everything just yeah. as well as anyone else can. And that really well, it's because they're told they're, they're told they have to. Yeah. Exactly. And that <laughs> yeah. really closes off what it is, right? And it took a veterinarian standing up in the meeting saying, we can't have this conversation without credentialed technicians. Yeah. <laughs> How I, I, can I, we do this? I, I used to sit in the ER when there would be five interns receiving five intern veterinarians on at one time one technician in the er that's it one for five doctors meanwhile the phone like outside the building calls like client calls it doesn't ring at the front desk for the csrs to answer it rings into the er for the interns to answer they're answering the phones veterinarians are answering the phones like and and i used to tell everybody like this is in no way shape or form (laughs) how an actual veterinary hospital functions. We are not teaching you to go be a practitioner and actually teaching you how to practice in practices. We are teaching you inadvertently how to do everything. Yeah, how to try and do everything like, yourself. It, it is, and then it we is, wonder why doc, why veterinarians have poor mental health and, and suffer from <laughs> compassion right. fatigue it, it, and it, have no work-life balance. Right. It is unbelievable it's it's yeah. it's no especially if they have done an internship right. an academic and i will say an academic internship specifically if they have done that it is no wonder why they have no clue how to utilize their people right, right. and they don't because, trust their people because they never learned but, what their people were capable of doing. no so they don't trust no, them no hey caffeinators we're just going to take a quick break from the show to pay some bills and we'll be right back the vet tech cafe is sponsored by better help BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online that's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy and financial aid is available. Caffeinators receive 10% off the first month using BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, to join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Don't take our word for it. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily at betterhelp.com reviews. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash reviews. If you want to take charge of your mental health, visit BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe and get started today and get 10% off your first month. Be well, caffeinators. We could go on about this all day. I don't want this to be a, I don't want this to be a 12-hour podcast for the caffeinator. So I, 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 will, I will ask you one question. Save it, I, save it for next year. Yes, yeah. yes. Save, save some of this for next year. But I, I do want to ask you one question. So I know yesterday was your, your anniversary, and I know you're leaving for vacation here in a it few was. days. We are. So as, as somebody in your seat who has a pulse on so many different things and is so active in so many different ways, how do you get away from vet med? Like how yeah. do you detach? <laughs> how do you, not, what? How, how do you turn it off? <laughs> like what do you do to say, like to to make your mental health helpful, or like you know uh, make your mental health okay? I am not great at cutting <laughs> off, uh, you know, vet med and 
life. Um, I have to admit, I'm not good at it. I was better at it when I worked clinically when I was on the floor. I think the pandemic for a lot of folks has really blurred the lines between work and home. And it certainly has for me, I would say in the last three to six months, I've really set a limit on when I look at email, when I answer email, when I'm online, you know, when I'm, when I will take meetings and phone calls and stuff like that. So I have gotten a lot better about it. But that being said, I've, I'm never out of contact, honestly. <laughs> I mean, last year, so the last trip that my husband and I took was February of 2020. We had planned that trip. I, I need to step back one more step back from that. We, I'm a member of the UCLA Alumni Association. That's where I got my BA in English. I get their travel brochure. They send out these travel brochures a lot more before the pandemic. <laughs> uh, like, oh, here's trips you can do, you know, here with the other UCLA alumni, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, a lot of them I'd look at and be like, oh, that might be fun, but I could never do, like, I could never get away. I could never do that. Oh my God, that's so long. It's so far, whatever. I think it was two weeks maybe after Louise O'Dwyer died. And a brochure came across the mail for a trip to South Africa. And I looked at it and I thought, I can curse on this podcast, right? Heck yeah. Sure. Why not? I thought, what <laughs> the fuck am I waiting for? Uh, and I booked it. I, <laughs> I mean, almost without talking to Tom, I was like, I, we need to do this trip. We're going to do this trip. And I picked one that was not all safari because I didn't think I could convince, could convince him to do a pure <laughs> safari trip. So it was a little bit of, you know, city and a little bit of safari. And so we booked that like probably a year before we left. And so we were really looking forward to the trip and planned, you know, we went, flew to South Africa, 26 hours or whatever travel time. Oof, um, and then, you know, but when we left, we left February 5th, 2020. There were some whispers, something weird's happening in Wuhan, China. Nobody really knows what it is. Oh, you know, looks like it's probably just going to be in China. Um, so not a lot to worry about. And then we were, you know, we're in South Africa. And then it's like, oh, well, it uh, looks like now it's not just in China. It's maybe other places. We're not really sure. February 2020, right? Little did we know it was already yeah. in the U.S. Oh. It had been in the U.S. Yeah. for a month at that point in time, maybe two months. But we didn't know. Nobody knew. We we were able to complete our trip, which is good because I have heard from people who got stuck in places like Australia and New Zealand, could not leave oh. for a good amount of time. But we were. We got we landed in San Jose, back in San Jose, February 25th. Amazing trip. Like if you had to go into lockdown, <laughs> Having that trip like immediately before we went in was actually, you know, it was it was a it was a re we felt really fortunate that we were able to do the trip in the first place that we could get home and be home when lockdown happened in California, which was around the third week of March. Uh, but even on that trip, I was still in contact. So I, you know, I had, we had email, there's Wi-Fi everywhere now, right? So I was on email, I was doing things, work, veterinary related, work related, even then. So I'm not great at it, but I'm trying to be better. Yeah. Uh, when we go, we will, so we are going to Hawaii. I'm really excited. We living in California, we're fortunate because it's only five hours to get to Hawaii. Uh, so it's really short trip, really. And we were going 
every year. That was like our yearly vacation. That was where we would go. We skipped it in 2019, knowing that we were going to Africa. Like, okay. And so now we're finally going back and I'm really excited. My husband and I have been together 29 years Mary, 18. Thank you. So uh, we're really looking forward to, even though we're in a pandemic, uh, to going somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> With anywhere. Each other, anywhere but our anywhere. house. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So my plan, we'll see if I can keep, maybe you, you both can help keep me accountable. But my plan is to limit the amount of time that I am in contact. And I say that, but I know Dave will sympathize with this because we're also in the middle of internal medicine academy application time and review. Mm -hmm. And I am the Mm -hmm. credentialing committee chair. So there's no way I could be completely 100% out of contact. So I will have to just work on my discipline and be disciplined about limiting my time. And that's what I've been trying to do. I read a great book since I, I helped moderate the Not One More Vet support staff site, and one of our staff members for Not One More Vet is a social worker. Several of them are social workers, but the one who's in charge of kind of the Facebook side of things, she started a book group. And our first group was about boundaries. And <laughs> it was a great, it was, I mean, she knew that this group needed to read that book. And it was a really good book to learn about the value of boundaries and setting boundaries and keep how to keep those boundaries. Mm. Uh, and that's what I've been trying to focus on a lot. Just where my energy goes, how much of it dissipates. I think of boundaries. This is, I think I got this imagery from Brene Brown, who is also a very famous social worker. If no one, if you don't know Brene Brown, type it into YouTube. You're going to get a great video on out. vulnerability. Yep, yep, yep. She's amazing. She talks about your energy being like water and boundaries being like the banks of a river or a stream, right? And it's really important that you don't, that you keep those boundaries as strong as you can so that your energy doesn't just leak out, right? Into a floodplain or whatever. So that's what I'm, so that's what I'm going to try and do. Keep that imagery in my mind and get away. And I, you know, I don't, I never forget how fortunate I am and how grateful I am to have the opportunity to be able to do that because I know so many people working in veterinary medicine don't have that. They work paycheck to paycheck. They can't possibly, they can't take a day, much less a week or two weeks. And so I don't take that for granted at all. Gotcha. Well, it's something that you can easily work on. You know, Jeff and I are kind of doing this non-vet day yes Uh, i love that idea so much (laughs) my my day my day is tomorrow but i'm gonna have two podcasts to to edit so it's gonna be a struggle i'm gonna force myself to do it tomorrow it's hard Um, to keep though to keep the boundaries because you know and you guys talked about this i think was it maybe it was with the episode with karen roach about how it's so easy to just answer that email or just Mm -hmm. oh i'll just do that one thing oh i'll just i'll do that but it, it takes a lot of discipline and, and self-control, yeah. and I'm not great at it. I'm practicing. Well, yeah. here's, the, here's the problem that I find is that I can look at that and say it would take five minutes to just do this and forcing myself to not do it. Then what do I do? I obsess over it for the rest <laughs> of the day. If I would just do the thing that would take five minutes, I, I, I struggle shutting it off and being able to just step away from it and say, take it out of your mind because it's it's not what you're doing today. That's right. 
I have to find. I have to force myself to like. Five, I can't just take a day off to be lazy. I have five, to have I was just something say, to do. Find something else to fill that five minutes. Yeah, I That's have. Right. I have because to there's have something because to there's going to be another five minutes right behind it. That's right. Yep. It's yep. like reverse procrastination. It, right? It, it, yeah, he is. Yeah. It's, it is because I, the same thing happens to me when I procrastinate about something. I just I'm finding other things to do so I don't have to do the thing I'm mm-hmm. procrastinating about. Yeah. But sometimes that is just letting myself be distracted by by work, by the union, by credentialing, by not one more vet, whatever it might be, anything that I might be doing. But sometimes and again, I think picturing your energy like water, right? It makes sense because if you try to spread your energy among all of the different things, you're not giving your full effort, your full self to whatever it is right. that you're doing. And so that is, I think for me, that helps to think about it in that way. That if I try and do a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit here, I'm not being my most effective um, Right. Self, I'm not bringing what everything that I can to whatever this is. You don't want you don't want to half-ass a bunch of things. You want to whole-ass whole one ass. really good That's thing. Exactly right. <laughs> that is exactly right. I love it. Yeah. All right, Liz. So we we like to ask who would you who would you want to see in your seat? Who's who's yes. going to be our next guest? Yes. So I thought I've been thinking about this. I would love for you guys to have Drew Mellon on. He is the technician who really helped to drive the effort to get credentialed technicians in the Veterinary Practice Act in Utah. And I think he would be amazing. And he's very involved with the Utah State Veterinary Technician Association. So I think he would be great. Jessica I can't remember her real life last name on Facebook. She is <laughs> Jessica Nicole. She is one of the admins of Vet Tech Nation, and she is heavily involved with the Missouri Vet Tech Association. And I think she would be a fantastic person to talk to. I'd love to hear more about her journey and that. It's a huge Facebook group, Vet Tech Nation. So learning, yeah, yeah, talking yeah. to her about how they moderate that, what they do to, to make that community valuable. Uh, and then I thought of another person. Um, I know you've had a Canadian already, but I've had a few I, Canadians. Yeah. I think another interesting Canadian that I would like to hear from is Sarah Amaral. And I like mm. Sarah not only because she's hilarious, but she's <laughs> involved in Not One More Vet. She is. Uh, she does the social media for her hospital in Canada. So I think that's an interest because she's also teching and doing the mm-hmm. social media side. And I think she would be a really interesting person to hear from as well. Cool. Excellent. Cool. We will uh, write all those down. Awesome. And then so many others that I that I thought of, but you've already had as guests. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, if they're uh, you believe me, you are in far more contact with people in this profession than we are. So if if there oh, are yeah. ever anybody, feel free to shoot us a text or oh, send yeah. us a and message. Oh yeah, one other that we actually talked about before we started recording is Nicole Dickerson, who right. is really. Oh, yeah. Uh, she has an interesting story having worked in emergency and critical care for a long time, um, getting her VTS and ECC, and now she has moved into research. And I know you've had some research folks on. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it's interesting. It would be interesting to hear from her. Yeah. Uh, and she does her own that. podcast, right? She does. Cat Disgusted, which yeah. is also hilarious. And she's a musician. <laughs> she has a lot of... She used to be really involved in theater. She has a lot of interesting stuff in her background. So awesome, perfect, awesome, yeah. cool. It's good to have a good to have some some new ideas. And now I am girding myself. 
<laughs> for the would you rather for the would you rather like, oh. yes, i'm strapping on yes. my armor yes yes this 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 one is, <laughs> is going to be a tough one this is for sure written for liz houston <laughs> oh, no are you, are you ready for it liz okay okay all right would you rather bill belichick is now the coach of the saints or tom brady is now the quarterback of the saints <laughs> Okay, I will have to say, I have been amazed at Tom Brady's transformation since he left New England. He has become so much, to me, in my opinion anyway, you know, having never lived in New England, and I am not a Tom Brady fan, as you both know. Oh, really? Um, Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. (laughs) But I love how he has really um, become much more personable. He has put himself out there. He, you know, those hilarious, the subway ads are hilarious, right? Where like Steph Curry's like, you don't eat bread. And he's like, Steph, it's a commercial. He's funny. He's doing like really funny things. And if he hasn't made me like him, I, I, uh, I'm so angry at him. Every time he does something amazing and like, super friendly and like you know like he's a real person i'm like oh god tom brady i'm so mad at you so (laughs) i and i mean there i don't think there's any debate unfortunately about who is the goat when it comes to veterinary quarterbacks and did you just say veterinary quarterbacks did I? Oh my god! NFL yeah, you did. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's any doubt because goat. You know. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, uh-huh. I don't think there's any doubt who the goat is when it comes to quarterbacks. Yeah. And I would be a fool if I turned Tom Brady away from the New Orleans Saints. That would wow. be. That would. You be heard it here first. Idiotic. Yes. Yes. And so I will pick Tom Brady as the quarterback. I, I will say that in my time in New England, Jeff's time in New England, he did not do as many ads as no. he did, as he's doing now. No, um, he he had a few that were kind of almost more local stuff. Local yeah. stuff, yeah. He did one for like a local sporting goods chain that was that was kind of funny. But now now he's in a lot of different ads. Yeah. He has that and, really funny, cute ad with Giselle where they talk about his crypto thing. Oh yeah, whatever. oh yeah. But yeah. it's like it's so it's so self-deprecating and yeah. adorable, and I'm like, yeah. man, I oh that makes me mad because yeah. I don't want to <laughs> like you. And yeah, you're, yeah. The, I the, still don't think he's handsome. The, so the, I'm still gonna put the that only in commercial I recall seeing in New England was for like a local MRI chain, and they always used to. He had all of his Super Bowl rings on, and they used to oh, make yeah. him always put him in the locker. Yeah, like make him take his <laughs> rings off to get an MRI. <laughs> And, and it was just like, you know, uh, it was kind of that, like, you know, just almost more of a brash and like a bragging kind of thing. And it's like, yeah. this, is, this is why people outside well, and then, and of these six states they, don't they like updated it. it. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. They updated it after, every, after every, one another. He's yeah. like, well, hold on. Got one more. Hold on. Got one more. Yeah. And it was, yeah. See, like that I don't like. like yeah. But I love like the subway ads. I think yeah. they're hilarious. Yeah, that yeah they're really ad, good. That yeah. crypto ad is Super hilarious. Funny. It's adorable. It's very self-deprecating. Yeah. Um, Tampa, I think, has just loosened him up, right? Yeah. Or, like, or maybe he, he just has a better publicist. He threw the Lombardi trophy <laughs> from one boat to another. <laughs> what is wrong with you? But, but also, it's adorable. What are you going to yeah. do? Yeah. 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 And he's got like so. six others of them. If that one falls to the bottom of the channel, oh he God. can just like, oh, he's like, here, just have this one. 
<laughs> Damn it! Damn you, Tom Brady! Oh. Uh. <laughs> All right, Liz. Well, I think we've taken up enough of your time. Oh, but, it's so great to talk to you, uh, always. As you always. as well. As, as always. As always. Thank you so much, and um, enjoy your vacation. Try Thank to you. at least Thank like you. take one full day, ideally two, and disconnect. <gasps> Just be present in Hawaii. Fill those days with other things, with tours okay. and hikes and breweries and food and indulge yourself not being part of veterinary medicine for a day it's that life it's life like changing it's I'm life changing. ideally ideally if you could do it for the whole trip but I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no way start, start baby there's steps start with a day start with <laughs> yes. one day baby steps <laughs> i will and i will report back to you both love it on, yeah. on my love day it. love it all right well caffeinators thanks again for tuning into the vet tech cafe here as we start out on year three um thank you for all your support the last couple of years and, and we hope you stick with us uh going forward here but thanks again to liz houston for coming by today dave uh we got another episode to record here in a little bit so i'll see you soon <laughs> yes yeah, in an hour congratulations right. and happy birthday jeff thank uh, you thanks for having me on your birthday absolutely it's a real pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> thank you all right everybody bye guys bye guys Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators! We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website, www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day. Thank you.